right, HCC, how you doing? Good. You are here and you are doing well. I want to welcome you guys here in Powell Auditorium. I want to welcome those of us joining in Hesperia today. A big welcome to you on this Veterans Day weekend for those out in Apple Valley. We're really glad you're here with us. And for those watching online, a big welcome to you as well. Well, it is so good to be with you. We are continuing in a series in the book of Ruth. Last week just kind of entered into this original space and we'll pick it up again. If you have a Bible, you can make your way to Ruth chapter two. Ruth is Joshua Judges Ruth. It's about the eighth book in your Bible. You can find your way. And um, man, I just love, on all of our campuses to this weekend, we had about 29 people get baptized. And what a sweet thing just to, yeah, so good. And um, just a sweet thing to see someone take that act of obedience and say, I just, it's not just that I want to make this uh, step of faith and receiving, responding to the invitation, the gospel. I want to be initiated into the body of Christ. I want to take that step and let everyone know, be very public about this decision and make it a declaration. And so I just love that. It's a rich time for those of you who got baptized this weekend. I'm so grateful for you taking that step of obedience and it warms our hearts because many of us can remember literally being in these different spaces of water on our three campuses and being baptized there. So it's a rich thing just to bring that back to even our own decisions that we've made in the course of our lives. Well, before we dive into Ruth, I, I want to take a moment. We've been kind of watching this um, just season of things in the Middle East, all around Israel and Gaza, and taking some time to pray for that situation. So I want to do that today before we dive into the book. Father God, we just come before you today, um, aware to whatever degree we can be, or are of the situation of conflict and unrest and war between Israel and Gaza. And just praying God today that you would uh, do a work. There are um, people who are being driven from their homes or people who have been kidnapped and not yet returned. Uh, there's just so much uh, upheaval and so much conflict. And so what we would pray is that you would bring, even as we looked last week at the word shalom, not just a ceasefire, but God, you bring a fullness and abundance of who you are. And we know that you have a unique and special relationship with the people of Israel. But God, we also know that each and every person in that part of the world is an image bearer of you. And you love the people in Gaza as well. And so what we would pray is that the gospel would be unleashed and that people would respond to this great news of what Jesus has done for the Jew and the Gentile. And we pray that you would use Christians in both those spaces in Israel and in Gaza to be able to share Christ with those who have that need and have never responded. So we just pray you'd be at work, pray you keep us vigilant to be prayerful and thoughtful, and would you bring peace there soon. We love you and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we um, pick it up today, just if you weren't with us last week, Ruth begins in a valley. The two main female characters are introduced to us, Naomi and Ruth, in the first chapter. And Naomi was a woman from Bethlehem who left with her husband and two sons and went to Moab because there was a famine in their region. And I don't know, it doesn't say that they expected to live there forever. They were going to be there for a while. But then tragedy strikes and Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies over the course of time, her sons, they all begin to take on, take some roots in the land of Moab, so much so that both of her sons get married. But then tragedy strikes again and again, and both of Naomi's sons die. 
So Naomi's in this space where everything she brought with her to Moab, every family member is gone. She literally has nothing. And she hears that the famine is over in her land and starts making her way back. She has two incredibly devoted daughters-in-law, a lady named Orpah and a lady named Ruth. And as they get back to a point, Naomi just says, time out. Like, I, I so appreciate your connection and loyal love to me, but I have nothing to offer you. There is no future with me. Go back to your homes and start your life anew. One of the daughters-in-law does that, but Ruth, Ruth makes this powerful statement we looked at last week. She said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And stop asking me to leave because I'm like glue and I am stuck to you and I'm not going anywhere. And so Naomi concedes and they make their way back to Bethlehem. When they come into town, it's, it's a ruckus because Naomi's been gone a long time. But what's odd is she's not coming back with her husband and sons, but this Moabite woman. And she quickly tells the group of women who come out to meet her, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, call me bitter, because God has raised his hand against me. I am oppressed because of what God has done. So we met these women in this valley last week and we left off with the fact that they'd come back uniquely in time at the barley harvest. And that's where we left the story off. So we get to pick it up anew today. And as we do, we're gonna see that huge decision to come back to Bethlehem was huge, but now the daily reality, how do we take care of ourselves? How are we gonna feed ourselves? We said last week, these cultures were very much built upon the fact that men protected the women in their circles, in their homes. These women have no men. So now how are they gonna care for themselves? And that's where we pick it up uh, today in chapter two. And we're gonna see some really powerful examples of the way that um, God blesses and uses generosity in some powerful ways. So chapter two, verse one of Ruth. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech was her husband who had passed, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. I love this phrase. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was working, who, I'm sorry, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Well, it's interesting. We're introduced to the third main character of the book of Ruth, just kind of out of the blue. The author says, oh, you haven't asked the question, but let me tell you, there's a guy named Boaz who's connected to Naomi's family line, her clan. And you're like, oh, okay, good. I'm glad to know that. I don't know why I need to know that. But as we go through this first set of verses that we've read, it's very clear. He's wanting to help us understand it's not coincidental, but providential. It's out of God's provision that Ruth just so happens to land in Boaz's fields. And we're gonna see the power of that, not just his generosity, but even his standing that's gonna create an opportunity for these two women to be cared for. Um, you'll find as we read today, how many times the tag or the title, the Moabite, is connected to Ruth. And this isn't a positive term, it's just reinforcing she doesn't belong here. She's a refugee, she's a foreigner, and this isn't her people, this isn't her land. And it made me think as I was preparing for how many of you, how many of us have had these titles in our lives 
that exclude, that don't remind us that we belong, but keep us out on the edge. Maybe you can relate to Ruth that way. The author's going out of his way to communicate. She is not of the people Israel. She is the Moabite. Now she says to Naomi, hey, we're not gonna just, food isn't gonna land on our doorstep. I should go and glean. And, And Ruth is saying that because Naomi actually had probably already told her, hey, there is a way of which we go about things here very different than in Moab, but around here, there's actually a way that people can be provided for. And I love this. I want you to see this two times today. This is the first of those two, how God built into the infrastructure of the the law, the way that people were to relate to him and to each other. These first five books of the Old Testament in the law are all these ideas of how God created a society that would actually care for the downcast care for those in need. It was built into the core of who they were. Leviticus chapter 19 verse nine says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them, watch this, leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am Yahweh, I am the Lord your God. It's so powerful to understand that God built into the very fabric of the culture of Israel. There are going to be, watch this, the poor, her name's Naomi, and the foreigner, her name is Ruth. People who at harvest time don't have anything to harvest. They might not have the land that is reaping at the time. There are foreigners, they don't even own land in the place of Israel. So for those, God built a plan, don't overpick your crops, leave some, And those who don't have their own at harvest time will come and gather from that. I just think it's so powerful. It's in your notes. God's people are God's answer. God's people are God's answer to meet the needs of those who experience need and poverty. God built into the system that his people would be the ones who would show compassion, who would show kindness, who would leave the gleanings so others could come and receive and have something for themselves. By the way, so many of you did that on all three of our campuses a couple weeks ago. You brought canned food, um, put it behind your car. This uh, is gonna be an amazing offering for the people in our valley who, when it comes to Thanksgiving, might not have the means to put a meal together. I was over in the fireside room after cans were collected. The room was packed all the way to the gills. And if you saw the numbers that Pastor Paul shared on social media, hundreds, I think when it came to green beans, over a thousand cans of green beans. People are gonna dig green beans at Thanksgiving. That's good. But you guys were so generous and that's, you are such a, good example of that last point. You are, the God's people are God's answer for meeting those who are in need. And I just love the way you demonstrated that so well. And the last line of what we read, as it happened, as it turned out, the author showing us God is providentially steering Ruth in exactly the direction he wants her to go. We pick it up in verse four. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is, here it is again, the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in in any other field. 
and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men, watch this, not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. This is a powerful beginning to our story. We were now introduced to the man. We get to hear his voice named Boaz. And even the introduction of how he moves into the space with his workers. You know, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you is their reply. Some of you are like, I would love a workplace like that. I mean, what a great, I mean, there's just like a sense of joy and mutual care and respect for one another. And there's this, is like, hey, Boaz is here. Hey, so good to see you guys. I am so grateful for the workplace I get to be involved with with our staff here at HDC. And I know others of you have great workplace environments. Others of you wish you had work, great workplace environments. And I know that's a thing of challenge often. But note the context. Boaz seems to be this person who cares well and has a great relationship with his workers. So as he begins, he notices quickly there's a new person in the mix. And there could be a host of reasons why he noticed Ruth. It could be that he knows his team so well, she's new. He just quickly figures that out. It could also be that, remember, she's the Moabite. Moabite women may have looked different than Jewish women. It might have just been very easy for him to recognize that she is different than the other women working. Or it could have been she's young and attractive. That could be another part. We're going to find out there is definitely an age difference between Boaz and Ruth. And whatever it was, his eye was drawn to her. And he asked kind of the foreman of his team, who is that? And here's this explanation, just brief, of who she is, the Moabite, who she belongs to, Naomi, and the fact that she has been incredibly just... um, Uh, polite in the way she asked to glean in the fields and that she's a hard worker. That's really all that we know initially of, of what was told to Boaz. But know what Boaz does. He doesn't waste any time. He doesn't just invite her to come back and glean in the fields. He directs her, don't go anywhere else. This is your field to glean in. You come and you make yourself at home here and receive uh, from the, the fields in the harvest. So he's very clear. I don't want you going anywhere else. And you can go and have water whenever you're thirsty. I mean, he's taking care of her and he makes this really profound statement. And I have told my men not to touch you. We don't know necessarily all of what was going on thousands of years ago in Bethlehem at the barley harvest, but there must have been at least at times either the intimidation or even the romantic gesturing of men towards women who were gleaning in the fields. And Boaz makes it really clear, you are safe here. You are protected. Last week, we got to connect the dots from this Ruth series to a a bigger special offering opportunity. We have a project called GoFund Kingdom. Last year, you guys were amazing. You outgave the project's goal of $100,000, and we're doing that again, raising $100,000 that we will completely give away to projects that relate to global missions, to local impact, and to church planting. And last week I was able to share with you that week's message was about poverty, about these two women being poverty, having poverty in all kinds of ways, not just financially, but relationally. And this week our message is entitled Protection 
And what's so cool to me, I shared with you three of our projects that are kind of dealing with meeting the needs of those in poverty, but also this idea of protection. There's really two of our nine projects that really connect on this dot. Last year, one of our projects was helping a church planter in Redlands. Not so much, the church hadn't even started meeting yet, but even help him with his home with an emergency that he had. Well, this year we reached back out. His name is Jay Stovall with Portrait Church. And we asked Jay, hey, we'd love to partner with you in a project again. What could we do that would be a blessing to you and your church? And he said, man, if you could come help us with our children's area, we want it to be safe. We want kids to feel protected. We want parents to feel confident when they drop them off. And because we're a brand new church, we're just putting all the pieces together and creating that kind of space would be huge. $15,000 of our $100,000 project is going to go to Portrait Church to create that space. And if you're here at HDC, you know, those are huge um, values that we have for our kids programming. We want our parents to feel incredibly confident when they drop their kids off, not only because of the staff, but because of the environment. So that was just like a heartstring to us. We're like, oh dude, we wanna help. We love that. That's really important to our church as well. The other project though that connects with this idea of protection is a little bit different, but I love that we're doing this. Pastor Kyle looking at our different global emphases There's two of our global workers. We can't even tell you their names or where they serve because they're restricted countries and they would face persecution, even being kicked out. But they're gonna be home next year in 2024 and they have been beaten up, not physically, but beaten up emotionally and beaten up with a lot of circumstances. And so one of the things that you're giving to... um, GoFund Kingdom is going to do is going to provide unique care for them, counseling, and just getting their feet underneath them again, because they're very vulnerable. And our great concern is not just that we have missionaries sharing the gospel all over the world, but that we have healthy missionaries sharing the gospel all over the world. And I love our commitment to our missionaries that way. So your giving is going to help protect people who are in a pretty vulnerable state. And I just love that that's one of our projects. If you want to continue to be a part of that project this year, just go to our website, GoFund Kingdoms on the front page, click to give, and you'll be giving to cover all of these projects with our $100,000 goal. So this is where we see Boaz communicate this great sense of, I'm going to provide protection for this foreigner, for Ruth, and make sure that she feels safe. Chapter two, verse 10, at this, she being Ruth bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. He's saying, Yahweh, our God, would he reward you? And I love this phrase, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. And look what she says. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I did not have the standing of one of your servants. Man, this is just an initial awesome interaction between Ruth and Boaz. She responds, why are you being so kind? 
I'm a foreigner. I'm not connected to anyone here in this land. And yet the ways you're providing, you're instructing me to come back and glean here. You're telling me that water's available and rest is available. You're protecting me from anyone laying a hand on me. Why are you being so kind? I'm a foreigner. And Boaz says, I know more about you. And I know that you have been so incredibly kind and selfless towards one of my relatives. Remember, we read that earlier. Naomi and Boaz are related. So he's not just saying even a person within the nation of Israel, you have been loyal and loving to one of my family. And two times he says, may God richly bless you. May God richly repay you for the way you, and he doesn't even just say God generic, may Yahweh the God of Israel. And I don't think he's saying that to compare gods. He doesn't know where she's at with her interest in worshiping Yahweh as well. He's not saying, you know, our God versus your little G Moabite gods. He's just saying, I think evangelistically, I want you to know when God keeps bringing blessing into your life, he is the God who is doing it. The God of this land, the God who has saved and, and protected us. So it's a, it's a powerful exchange. And he uses this great phrase on the backside of it, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's just a powerful image. If you've ever been around some kind of bird that has sheltered her babies with her wings to say, I've got you, you're, you're going to be protected. It's interesting that there was an anointed king on the run just a couple generations later who used this similar language. He said in Psalm 57, one, have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me for in you, I take refuge. Look at this next line. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. God, I find you to be a place of protection. I'm going to stick there until disaster has moved by. So powerful images that we can connect to and Boaz is, is blessing her. But I want you to see as well, her response is so significant. She says, hey, as a result of all of your kindness and all of your blessing, I just want you to know, I feel safe. Look in your notes. When people feel safe and protected, they are put at ease rather than feeling anxious or on high alert because they don't know how they're going to take care of themselves. When people feel safe and protected, they are put at ease. Remember, that was her literal words. I feel so much at ease for the way you're talking to me, for the way you're protecting me, for the way you're providing for me. A woman who didn't know how we were going to eat who doesn't have the protection of a man over our lives, me and my mother-in-law, we're by ourselves. You have put me so much at ease. And I wanted to challenge you with something. I wanted you to think about the people in your oikos. I want you to think about the people in your eight to 15 that you're doing life with and, and process any of them who don't feel safe who don't feel protected in this season of their lives. It might not have anything to do with there's a contract out in their life. It might not be that. Some of us maybe too, I don't know. But it's not that, but it's this idea of I don't feel safe because of this issue I have at my home. I don't feel safe because of these bills that are mounting up. I don't feel safe because of the way that I just can't get that work done or, or the way that I don't know where I'm going for the holidays. And I just challenge you to consider, though you might not be able to do for all what you can do for one, 
Would you consider even today the people in your oikos who don't feel safe, who don't feel protected? Is there any of those things that you can step into to provide just a little bit for their sense of protection? Because what that does is it brings them at ease. Rather than anxious and and on high alert, how am I gonna get this done? A small thing that you could do to step into their lives might really mean a lot more than you even think it does. That's a powerful thing for us as God's people to realize the power that we have to be able to step into spaces and meet people and help them feel at ease when they otherwise would be very anxious in their lives. Chapter two, verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. He's inviting her to dinner. When he, she sat down with the harvesters, he offered some, her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and even had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, and I want you to see this. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. You and I hear that and we go, wow. Yeah, we don't know what that means. Um, She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Again, see the generosity of Boaz. He doesn't owe her anything. And even when they go to have a mealtime and be a little bit refreshed from a long long day of work, he invites the foreigner, invites the Moabite over to have dinner with him and his team. I just, again, just see the way he's practically and even very powerfully blessing her life. Well, a powerful thing though he says before she goes back to glean again, I want you to catch both the generosity and the dignity of this statement. He says to his team, hey, I want her to go back in the fields. I don't want her to, to, to glean out on the edges. I want her to be right in the mainstay of it all. Even though that's the way the law was written, that the, the, the pickings that were left over are for the poor and the, the foreigner. I want her gathering in the main area. I even want you to go and take some full sheaves of barley and stick it where it's gonna be so noticeable for her that she'll go, well, how'd that get there? And she'll add it to her, her group. I want you to see this. The minute that Boaz realized who was gleaning in his fields, Ruth, and how kind she had been towards a relative of his, it would have been very easy for him to say, you know what, come over here. You've been so kind. I'm gonna put some barley in a bag, some grain. I'm just gonna give it to you. And you go home and say, tell Naomi this is from Boaz. That would have been great. It would have met a need. But I want you to see the difference between generosity and generosity married to dignity. Because she came expecting to work. She didn't come expecting a handout. She expected to partner and to glean the fields and then to take home a good day's gleanings to be able to share with her mother-in-law. And as Boaz is kind of, quote, planting this great harvest in front of her so she'll have even more, I see the kindness and generosity, but it's different because he still values her dignity. I've been in ministry for 31 years. I've been a part of a lot of projects all over the world. And a lot of the things I've been a part of have very much been a demonstration of generosity. But I will tell you, far too few have married generosity to dignity. 
When we come in as the big church from Southern California and drop a lot of resources off with the people, there's reason to be grateful and that is a sign of generosity, but it's so much more powerful when we say we do have some resources and some people power you might not have, but we're gonna come and partner with you. We're not gonna have you stand on the sidelines and watch us do something for you. We're going to partner with you to accomplish what maybe you couldn't do fully by yourself, but we believe in dignity and that you have a sense of feeling like you contributed. You have to remember that the whole concept of work was inherent in the garden before the fall. Some of us think work is a part of the sin problem in our world, it's part of the fall. Adam and Eve were called to manage and tend a garden. That was work, contribution, partnership before sin ever entered into the world. You were made to contribute. You were made to have a partnership in what goes on. And so Boaz is defending and, and preserving her dignity while he's demonstrating a great sense of generosity towards her. And I just love that. A verse that really matters to us, James 1:27. religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You might wanna go, why, why particularly ministry to orphans and widows? And particularly because those were the most vulnerable in their society 2,000 years ago when James was being written, they're still some of the most vulnerable people in our society today. And the beautiful thing that James says is it is pure and faultless, quote, religion because you're ministering to people who have nothing to give back to you. Meaning they can't do, you can't scratch their back and they scratch yours. You are giving with a sense of selflessness. That's the whole point. What is agape love? Loving without any expectation of being loved in return. So we love this passage from James. So many of you, some of you know, we're going through Rooted at a church-wide level. About 700 people are going through Rooted. And part of the Rooted experience is what we call a serve experience. And so many of you, the reports I heard back, we did this in the last two or three weeks. The reports I heard back were powerful because you actually picked widows to come and serve. You picked single parents. It might not be an orphan situation, but a parent who needs some help in caring for their kids. And you picked people who very similar to James 1 are in that vein of people who are the most vulnerable in our society. And you are the ones who came alongside them and ministered to them. I love that. So thank you again for your thoughtfulness and your attitude of giving and generosity towards those who need it the most. Another thought, by the way, too, I was reminded in our teaching team meeting that November is adoption month. And so it might be a great thing if you've considered that before. Some of you are involved in foster care. Others of you have adopted. Would you just have that on your mind? National Adoption Month. And I just love the families in our church who are in that progress of adopting kids or those who have or those who are fostering. We're demonstrating just a powerful way of the hands and feet of Jesus in people's lives. Well, we said that what Ruth gathered that day was an ephah, and we all kind of laugh because we don't know what an ephah is. It sounds kind of like a little bit, like an ephah, okay. Well, actually, I did a lot of commentary work. There was a lot of, a wide range of different ideas, but the majority view that I found was an ephah was about 30 pounds in our weight exchange that we would have today. That is no small amount of grain in one day, 30 pounds. And I love this, the commentary I was reading, it said, it, it said very matter of fact, 
capable of producing 672 slices of whole grain bread. How do you know that? 672, you're that precise that you know that's how many, I just don't even know. But that really smart person told me so, so I'm gonna have to go there. It was probably, it was on the internet, so it must have been true. 672 slices of bread, 30 pounds of barley grain Ruth comes back with. Might have even had it on her head, might have thrown it over her shoulder. That's a lot of weight to bring however long the distance was to get home. And this was going to produce not only enough grain for her and Naomi for a long time, but was probably going to be excess. I don't know how long it would take them to eat 672 slices of bread. But in the excess, they would even have that to sell and would be able to create some financing for themselves and have some resources beyond the actual grain. Incredibly generous and incredibly uh, industrious attitude of Ruth that day. When she comes home, you'll note one of the things she does, it just said it in a real glancing way. Remember, Ruth had received dinner at Boaz's and she actually had leftover. That's the first thing she does after showing her the grain is say, I don't know if you've eaten today, but I had leftover dinner. This is for you too. Generosity begats generosity. That's such a true statement. Ruth had already shown an incredibly loyal love to her mother-in-law, but in the way she had received, she also wanted to give. And it's a powerful reminder of just the way that generosity continues to go rampant among us when we demonstrate that to one another. Um, Let's finish the chapter today. Verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one, at, the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. So remember, way back at the beginning of this chapter, we're told of who he is, but Naomi is just hearing now, at the end of the day, Ruth was in Boaz's fields. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness, watch, to the living, her and, and Ruth, and to the dead. Naomi's husband and two sons, he's caring for his family. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. That is not a phrase we use every day. We'll unpack it before we're done. Then Ruth, again, third time, the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him. Look at this again, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. Boaz is providing you protection. It's not just a a natural given that you as a young woman wouldn't be in a precarious situation. Stay there with him. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. The the wheat harvest would be two months later and she lived with her mother-in-law. Naomi is so impressed by the haul that Ruth has brought back. She's like, whose field were you? And who gets 30 pounds of grain after one day of gleaning? And when she goes on to say that it's Boaz and how he's in, you know, invited her to keep coming back, Naomi's just blown away, so thankful again for his generosity. But she makes this connection. He's not just a close relative, he is a guardian redeemer. And we're like, I don't know what that is. You might be looking at a Bible today whose translation might say kinsman redeemer. Those two phrases are synonymous. 
And, and what we're gonna unpack before we're done today is to understand what a guardian or kinsman redeemer is and why that was important for Naomi and Ruth. But before we're done today, we're gonna see why that is so incredibly important for us. This is in your notes. A kinsman redeemer is the result of putting two Hebrew words together and means the closest blood relative who willingly regains the possession of something or someone by paying their redemption price. So look at that back half. The closest blood relative who willingly regains the possession of something or someone by paying their redemption price. I told you today two times we were gonna see in the fabric of Jewish society, God built in compassion and he built in the way that people were gonna be cared for who were in need. Leviticus 25, 25, if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. So what God built in the fabric is this, within a clan, within an extended family, someone is going to come on hard times. Someone is going to have their husband and two sons die and they won't be able to fend for themselves. When they do, sometimes they would have to sell their land. Other times they would even sell themselves into servitude in order to pay back debts. And what a, a kinsman or a guardian redeemer would do is they were called to step into that space before that even gets to be an ugly thing and to say, hey, I wanna keep that land in the family. I wanna keep my relative out from being in servitude. I'm going to pay their debt. I'm going to redeem them and, or redeem that land and bring that back into the family. That was built into the fabric. That was a part of the culture. And I think it's so profound and powerful to think about there were built in ways that we were gonna care for one another, built in ways that we would be there for one another when times got tough and things were difficult. So when you think about this idea, that word redeem, by the way, I always pause when I come across words that I feel like are Bible land words. They're in our Bible land glossary, meaning someone from the front or singing uses the word redeem. And we all kind of nod our heads like, they, they think they, they must know what that word means. I don't know what that word means, but I'm gonna act like I do. And I hate that because I feel like, let's use words we understand. Redeem is very simple in its meaning. You can write this in your notes. It simply means to buy back. To buy, B-U-Y, to buy back. And so this is what's happening is that a kinsman redeemer, there's a debt and the kinsman redeemer pays the debt, brings either the person or the land back into the family and redeems that. And it stays within a family bounds. And it's just a, a powerful picture to consider what had happened. Well, my question as we finish today is why does that matter? Well, I told you last week, one thing I was really excited about of teaching the book of Ruth in this season. We said the barley harvest happened in March in Israel, but when we think about the weeks leading up in November to Thanksgiving, this is our harvest season. This is the season in the year when we think most about not only receiving the harvest, but giving thanks to God for it. And I love that connection. We're processing that in real time related to another harvest story. But the other reason I wasn't able to tell you about last week, but I can this week is how this huge connection you see, kinsman redeemer being a person of Boaz was huge for Ruth and Naomi because it meant it was the promise that maybe they could fall in underneath his umbrella, underneath his care. But the reason that a kinsman redeemer is so important to us is that it's a type, it's a picture, it's a foreshadowing of what God's one-of-a-kind son would do on our behalf. 
Look in your notes as we wrap it up. We celebrate the arrival of God's one-of-a-kind son, Jesus, next month, and how he became like us in order to become one of our relatives, in order to become human, fully God, fully man, who could buy us back from the greatest poverty we could know, a lack like we looked at last week, a lack of relationship, a lack of shalom with our creator. You see, Jesus, this idea, this picture that God wove into the social construct of the people of Israel was more than just how family's gonna take care of family. It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do built into the culture is that family can redeem family in, in hurt and poverty built into the person of who Jesus was, he took on flesh so that he could rightly step into the space to redeem, to buy back people who were enslaved to sin. People like you, people like me. Paul writes to the church at Galatia these words, Galatia, I'm sorry. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, here it is, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem to buy back those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God did all of this, built this into the mission of how we send his son, becoming one of us. And it wasn't just a, a dollar amount that was going to make our sin problem right. It was his own blood shed on a cross. And he would do that because he wanted to bring us into his family to be his sons and daughters forever. What a great story is the book of Ruth. Let's pray. Father God, we wanna say thank you for this beautiful story that is unfolding before our eyes. We wanna say thank you for the way that you are showing us not only the need and the the incredible opportunity to show generosity, but God, the way we do that with dignity and preserving the dignity of other people in that mix. And I just am so grateful for that. I'm grateful for these nine projects that we're taking on and GoFund Kingdom that seek to do that very thing. And I just thank you, God, for the privilege of being able to partner, to contribute in what you're doing in the world. Maybe as you heard this last part of the message today about a kinsman redeemer, and you heard about this reality of God sending his one and only son to take on flesh, to become one of us, to redeem us. Maybe you're realizing that that knowledge is never enough. Just to know about the gospel is never what the gospel is intended to do. It's always an, a call to action. It's always an invitation. And you can respond to the gospel today by A, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. By be believing that what Jesus did when he lived a sinless life and died a sacrificial death was raised supernaturally on the third day. You can believe that what Jesus did at the cross did redeem you, did buy you back from the penalty of sin and death. You can see choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my confidence and trust in what you did for me at the cross and I wanna to continue to follow you, choosing daily to follow your example for my life. You can make that decision today. No classes to attend, no hoops to go through. And my prayer for you is you wouldn't let another day go by until you realize, Jesus, you are what I've always been looking for. You are my kinsman redeemer. 
Father, this week, help us step forward in generosity. Help us step forward in preserving people's dignity and give us the opportunity to live out these truths in our own experiences. We pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.